Well, good morning. Well, today is the uh, last Sunday in our uh, running shoe drive that we've been doing for Gate 316. And I uh, really appreciate all those who have uh, donated already towards that. You still have a bit of time, a few more days to do that. And so why don't you uh, take advantage of that? We continue our series today, Flawed Yet Faithful. And we've been highlighting the heroes of faith uh, that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. And as you know, we've uh, been learning about uh, Abel and Enoch, uh, Noah. We've talked about the others. And then Abraham and Sarah just recently and, and next week. Uh, Pastor Kristen is going to be talking about Jacob. But for today, we're going to focus on the character of Isaac. Now, if you take a kind of an old, quick view, a first impression or a surface view of Isaac, some of the things that we learn about him is that he was the promised uh, child of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, he was spared by God from uh, being sacrificed. God provided a wife for him. And uh, he was the preferred heir of Abraham's inheritance and also he ended up becoming the father of Jacob, who later would be called Israel. And looking at it, uh, first impression wise, you might think that uh, Isaac was a person of privilege because of everything going, uh, going uh, for him and given to him uh, from his uh, father Abraham. But Isaac's story, though it is full of God's provision and his uh, promises, there's more to his story than just privilege. Uh, recently, not too long ago, a new TV series was introduced and uh, Oprah Winfrey and Prince Harry are the main hosts for it. And it's called The Me You Can't See. And the, uh, the episodes that are part of that are these uh, honest, uh, guided discussions that talk about uh, mental health issues for real people and some who are privileged people. And it kind of digs below the surface of what is really happening in some of the lives of these people uh, that are on the screen part of that TV series. We're going to kind of do the same this morning and, and, and dig a little deeper into Isaac's life today, go below the surface and see what uh, we can learn from his life. And it brings us to our uh, passage to ponder that we've been doing uh, throughout this series from, uh, from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 to 40. And so let me read it for you. It says this, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them, including Isaac, re received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. So the question comes as we look at the character of Isaac, who was Isaac? And so let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 21. Uh, we're going to read uh, seven verses there, the first seven, and then we'll go quickly to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, verse 17 and 18. Let me read it for you. It says, The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. And Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All, all who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? And yet I have given to Abraham a son in his old age. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is a son through whom your descendants will be counted. Isaac, 
was the promised child. Keep that in mind as we go through our talk today. His name means laugh, as you heard last week from Pastor Gary. And uh, because of the pleasure and the joy that he brought both to Abraham and Sarah in their old age, but also to God. Isaac, the promised child, also was a reminder constantly uh, to his parents of God's favor and that nothing was too hard for God. But let's drill down today. Let's dig a little deeper and take a closer look and see what we notice uh, from Isaac's life as we look at his story. One of the first things we notice is that Isaac, the promised child, his imperfect life. Isaac, Isaac's life was far from perfect. As you read through his story, you realize he had uh, family issues and tensions. Even at a young age uh, of just three years old, his, his um, half-brother Ishmael teases him and mocks him. And, and that results in actually Ishmael and, and his mom Hagar being uh, sent away from their family or forced to leave. Uh, we look at the story of Abraham and when he is willing to sacrifice Isaac and oftentimes look at just Abraham's perspective and, and his faithfulness to God and his willingness to do that. And yet that experience for Isaac, though he was probably an adult at the time, was probably a very traumatic experience for him to go through. He also experienced grief and loss at a young single man, as a young single man because of his mother passing away at just 37 years of age when he was that age. Then he had the stress that he experienced in his marriage. And, and uh, there was 20 years that he and his wife, Rebecca, were not able to have children because of infertility uh, that they experienced. Then uh, Isaac struggled with fear. You, if you follow through, you see he struggled with that. And, and he also had just a struggle to survive. Isaac, like his father, was a nomad and so would have uh, never really had land to, that was his own. He traveled from place to place and cared for his family while God looked after him. And on one experience, uh, when he went to the, the Philistine territory, uh, he lied to uh, King Abimelech uh, and said that his wife was his sister because he was afraid that they would kill him uh, if they knew that, it was his, uh, if that, he, that was his wife. And so he struggled with fear and just the, the struggle to survive. And then his family, when his sons uh, Jacob and Esau are born, there's instantly this civil rivalry that happens from the very beginning and all through their story. And, and Esau, in, in his experiences, was very rebellious. And uh, it talks about how there were times that he married uh, these wives from, from foreign places just uh, to spite his parents because they, he knew that they knew it would be wrong and he knew that they wouldn't approve of it. And then there was the favoritism. And uh, we find this in Genesis 25, verse 27 to 28. It says this, As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And that story continues. You can see the favoritism that happens there. Isaac had far from flawless life. And yet, in spite of the issues that Isaac had, God was still able to work in and through Isaac's imperfect life. Uh, we also notice that Isaac, the promised child, has his own personal pilgrimage. He, he had his own. Uh, we note, uh, you know, just make, make note of this, Isaac experienced God's faithfulness and favor firsthand as a byproduct of Abraham's faith or his father's faith. So he, he's naturally set up to experience God's faithfulness and favor because Abraham chose to follow God. And it's a bit like 
uh, children and students today who maybe are raised in a, a home of, with parents who follow God. There's that, that favor and that they experience God's faithfulness in their lives. Or maybe uh, the, the family where one of the spouses is a believer and, and God blesses that family because of it. And there's New Testament passages that talk about that. But like every person, even though Isaac had experienced that as a byproduct of his dad, like every person, Isaac had to make his own decision, his, had to have his own personal journey with God. And part of that, as we see, begins with his uh, inquisitiveness and his contemplativeness. Uh, we see, uh, you know, when he's taken to the uh, mountain to be sacrificed, as they're on their way there, he notices that there's no, uh, no lamb to be sacrificed. And he asks his father, Father, you know, where's the lamb? And, and uh, his father says that God is going to provide. Then later on, as he is awaiting for his wife to be brought to him, it says in Genesis 24, 63, that on one evening as he was walking and meditating in the fields. So Isaac was uh, inquisitive and contemplative. He was also deeply sincere. Uh, we read about in Genesis 25, verse 21, that at the time when uh, Isaac and Rebekah for 20 years were unable to have children, it says, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. And the Lord answered Isaac's prayer. There was this, uh, we recognize from the verses, the passages, that Isaac had this sincerity, this deep sincerity, and, and, and would uh, talk to God, pray about these things. He also had a healthy fear of God. It's interesting as you dig into the verses, and it's, it's kind of uh, very subtle here, but in Genesis 31 and verse 42 and 53, uh, Jacob is telling his story, and he's talking, I think it's to Laban at the time. And he says to him, in fact, if the God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham and the fearsome God of Isaac, or literally the God Isaac feared, you would have sent me away empty-handed. Then in verse 53, as I mentioned, it says, So Jacob took an oath before the fearsome God of his father, Isaac, to respect the boundary line. Isaac had this fear, as we saw earlier, as I mentioned, uh, fear of other people, but he also had this healthy fear of God. And finally, he had this, these personal encounters with God. Uh, look at Genesis chapter 26, and verse 2 to 6 gives one account, but in verses 23 to 25, it says this, From there, Isaac moved to Beersheba, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. And he said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, there you see it again, for I am with you and I will bless you. I will multiply your descendants and they will become a great nation. And I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac built an altar there and worshiped the Lord. And he came up, he set up camp at that place and his servants dug another well. Isaac experienced God for himself. He didn't inherit the experience. He didn't base it on Abraham's experience. He had his own experience with God. And one might say that Isaac uh, had privileged life because of his dad, but Isaac made his own journey and his own decision to follow God. And that's why we read about Isaac's relationship with God, that it would be forever known in the phrase, I'm the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. See how he's named in there? God and Isaac had this relationship. 
Finally, we notice that Isaac, the promised child, had a forward-looking perspective. He had foresight. When Isaac heard from God, he chose to obey God. In Genesis 26, verse 1 to 6, it talks about how the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in the land. And then in verse 6, it says, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. See, Isaac saw obedience as best. And also, there's another thing uh, that describes this foresight that um, Isaac had. There's an experience he has where when, and I'll say it this way, when his wells were filled in, he dug new ones. And let me explain what that is all about. Genesis 26, 12 to 25 tells about how Isaac uh, became very rich and his wealth continued to grow. And he had these wells that Abraham had dug around that he had kind of set up camp at that time. And it says, so the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. And Abimelech, the king, ordered Isaac to leave the country. And what does Isaac do? It says, so Isaac moved away. And Isaac's men then dug another well, but again, there was a dispute over it. And abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. It's very subtle there, but there's this idea where Isaac has this this, uh, forward-looking perspective, this foresight to go, I'm not going to worry about this. You know, I'm experiencing this opposition. The Philistines have come and filled these wells. I'm going to move on. And he kind of keeps moving forward uh, because he has this forward-looking perspective. And then finally, when his sons wanted uh, his blessing, he promised a future for each of them, but as God directed this is an interesting story because Isaac is sort of tricked into blessing Jacob over Esau and Rebekah is involved and it's a whole result of the favoritism. But Jacob receives this blessing uh, over his, uh, his twin brother, even though he wasn't the firstborn son. And in that time period, the firstborn son was the natural one to receive the blessing. And so even after this happens, Isaac doesn't change his mind. He doesn't call out the deception at the time, but he actually says the blessing that I've given to Jacob is going to stick. And I also have something for you, Esau. And and it says this, for Jacob, he says, may you be the master of your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. And then to Esau, he says, you will live by the sword and you will serve your uh, your brother, but you will shake his yoke from your neck. All this points to this idea of this uh, forward thinking that Isaac had where he trusted God with his son's future even though it wasn't the firstborn blessing in the normal way that it would have happened for them or even maybe what he wanted to happen. And so we read in Hebrews eleven twenty, it was by faith Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons Jacob and Esau. Isaac had enough forward-looking perspective that he chose to obey God, to keep moving ahead, and to entrust his life as well as his family to God's plans and the plans that he had for them. So the question comes, what what can we learn and, and really apply from Isaac, the promised child's life? Three quick things here. One is this, we all have a past. You know, if you've moved at all, you know that boxes collect and there's lots of things that get stuffed in them and kind of left for a period of time. And I think sometimes our past becomes like these boxes that we have stuff in that we're unwilling to unpack, unwilling to open up and look inside and deal with the stuff inside. 
and uh, move on from those past things. Whether we grow up knowing uh, about Jesus or not, whether we've had the experience of growing up in church, it doesn't matter. We all have the opportunity to choose the path that we're going to take in this life. But the truth of the matter is, is that there's only two paths. Jesus says something interesting in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. As he's referencing uh, his uh, Sermon on the Mount about the narrow gate or way or path versus the wide path. And he says this, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide or path. It's wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. And if we choose the narrow path, it begins with relationship with God. And Isaac's life actually helps us a little bit with this because it provides a bit of an example of how to get that started. And, and I've mentioned already the inquisitiveness. There's something about it. And if you read the story of, in the Gospels of Jesus, the people that Jesus was drawn to were those who would, would come to him and ask the questions. He wasn't worried about pleasing the crowd or getting a following. He, he drew in the people who would come to him, like Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and goes, has questions about, how can I be born again? What is this all about? And others who would come to him. And that inquisitiveness is a start to us uh, really uh, getting closer to God, really asking some of the uh, key life questions. He was contemplative. Uh, I, I think this is so important because in our life, we kind of speed through life and we don't take enough time to be reflective or ask some of ourselves some of the questions or to, to meditate. And if we're believers, even just to meditate on God's word, the Bible, as we're told to do. But really reflecting on life and being contemplative about what's really important. I think, you know, Isaac gives us the example of just being deeply sincere and praying to God. You know, he, he prays. He could have easily said, God, give me a son. But he prays for his wife and puts her first in that. But also more importantly, there's just this deep sincerity that he has that you see just from that prayer and from his life. He also has a healthy fear of God. I think that is so important as we think about how to begin and uh, walk in relationship with God. I, I think there's this thing in us that has to recognize there's someone bigger than us who's in control and there's something more there. And, and to have this healthy respect for the decisions that we make and know that there are repercussions and consequences for some of the uh, poor choices that we make. And finally, just having personal encounter with God. God comes to Isaac and speaks to him, and Isaac responds to that. And I really believe that if we, uh, if you and I want to encounter God, God is more than willing to encounter with us if we will turn to him and if we will even call out to him. So a great question to ask in this process as we think about it and along the way is, will I ever be known by my relationship with God? Think about it. For Isaac, he's known as God says, I am the God of Isaac. Another question to ask is, do others recognize that my relationship with Jesus is a key part of my identity or a key part of my life? I don't know about you, but during and after my life, I don't want other people to wonder, was he really a narrow path person? Was he really a follower of Christ? Mark Batterson uh, kind of shares some challenging words. I, I want to read these for you, and you'll see them on the screen. 
We all want to spend eternity with God. We just don't want to spend time with Him. We stand and stare from a distance, satisfied with superficiality. We Facebook more than we seek His face. We text more than we study the text or the Bible He's referencing. And our eyes aren't fixed on Jesus. They're fixed on our iPhones and our iPads. Emphasis on I. I know it's a little ouch there as he's saying this. Then we wonder why God feels so distant. It's because we're hugging the rim or we're staying on the outside. We wonder why we're bored with our faith. It's because we're holding out. I think the third thing we can do in response to Isaac's story that we can learn is that we all need to choose a perspective. Uh, if I turn this box and I look at it from this perspective here, um, I wouldn't even know that it's a, a shoe box. I'd know that it's a box that has, interestingly enough, a crush test where they've determined that it takes 32 pounds uh, per inch to crush this box. I wouldn't know anything about it because I'm looking at it from this perspective. And yet when I turn and look at the box differently, I see that it's a shoe box and I see more details and information. And the more I turn the box, the more I get a different perspective on what's really inside that. And life is a bit like that. We have this opportunity to uh, choose our perspective when we think about life. The question is, is our life defined by our past, by our present, or our future? Quite often when we define our life by our past, we are constantly looking back, as Pastor Christian alluded to a couple of weeks ago in the story of Abraham. Because we're allowing our past to determine our ID today and also our future tomorrows. If our emphasis or our focus or our perspective is on the present, oftentimes we're constantly living for the moment. What's happening today, what I'm feeling and doing today, and what I have today becomes kind of all that matters. And, and we get uh, focused so much on that that we, we miss everything else that's happening. But if it's our future, and, and I want to clarify this, we can live today with a sense that our eternal future is secure. See, Isaac was able to have this forward-looking perspective because he trusted God who had his future and his finances and his family already all in his hands. And so he could kind of leave it with him and, and had that perspective that way. So let me ask you this question. What percentage of our time do we have an eternal perspective rather than just seeing things from our own perspective? And is our perspective of other people an eternal perspective? You know, do we see beyond the surface of who people really are and, and think of them in light of eternity? Or think about people in what they're wrestling with or going through or stuck in at the time and, and see them through different eyes the way God sees them? Or are we working to help them and others to see themselves or their situation from an eternal perspective and encouraging along the way? William Carey, the great missionary to India said this. I kind of like it. It's short, but it's kind of concise. The future is as bright as the promises of God. You know, Isaac experienced being the promised child, those promises of God, and he dug into it and experienced them personally for his life and had that future perspective as the promised one. Interestingly, in the New Testament, we learn about another promised one. We're talking about Jesus, 
who came actually to make a path to salvation. The Old Testament kind of sets it up as you read through some of the prophecies for this promised one to come who would make this path to salvation. And it's interesting because Isaac's story kind of points to this a little bit. You know, if you remember or recall Isaac's story of where he uh, and Abraham go up to the mountain and Abraham is going to sacrifice him. And and in the passage of the narrative talks about Abraham being willing to sacrifice his one and only son. And just before he does, God comes along and stops him and says, no, I know you trust me now. You don't need to do that. And he provides another a ram who is stuck in a, in, a, in a bush nearby as the sacrifice. And it's interesting because that story kind of points to what God does as we read in the New Testament in Jesus, his one and only son coming and being the sacrifice and the savior for us. And Paul kind of alludes to this in Galatians 4, verse 28, when he says this, and I like it, he says, and you, dear brothers and sisters or believers or those who choose to follow Christ, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. My point to this is this. this. The coming of the promised one, or Jesus, made a way for us to become children of the promise. And so you and I have the opportunity today, and as you're watching today, to choose to believe, to choose to follow Jesus, to choose to take the narrow way, to put our past behind, to gain a new life, in Jesus or in Christ, and to gain a new perspective for this life and eternity. But I can't make that choice for you. You have to decide to make that choice for yourself. And so let me pray for you today. Jesus, thank you today for this opportunity we have had this today as we've watched to learn more from the life of Isaac. Thank you for teaching us today that our past doesn't need to define us. That we can choose a a new path, as it were, that no matter where our life has gone in the past, we can begin this new journey with you, the the narrow way with you, as we've talked about on other um, Sundays. And we can choose to walk with you. And for those who are watching today, who are working through this decision, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them that you would, uh, in the same way that Isaac encountered you, I pray that as they're watching today and maybe through the rest of today or this week, that they would encounter you in their lives and realize how much they need you in their life and would choose to follow you. For others who are watching today who are believers, God, I pray that, uh, myself included, that you would empower us and give us the wisdom in how to put our past behind us. For some, I know it's a, it is a deep struggle because some of the really difficult things that they have experienced in their life. God, I pray uh, that as believers are watching today that you would work in us to be more like Jesus, that others would recognize that our relationship with you is a foundational thing for us, the highest priority, and guide us to have an eternal perspective over the things in this life and to really see things for how they really are. Lord, I thank you for those watching today. Work in each one of our lives so that we would become more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.